I mean, the guy who was doing the audiobook, I think he was he was fine, you know. But you know how that can be, though, with an audiobook. Because at, at a certain point, as it began, he did a Russian accent. And I was like, I hope that's not going to be, like, a trend. And it was. Like really? He, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Every Russian character got themselves an accent. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. He, he really, he went for it. He really went for it. And it was okay. It was okay. I, I don't really mind an, an accent sometimes for audiobook, but sometimes you'll hear it like, oh, man, he's really going for that Southern accent. You know, all of a sudden some character come on and go, well, I do declare I've been attorney for many years in this county. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah, he's going for it. <laughs> you know, it, 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 so it was kind of like that, which added a little bit of fun to it, but it wasn't, it wasn't my favorite experience. Mm. It wasn't my favorite audiobook experience. I have never, ever listen to an audiobook you never have never not one okay so this is the first one that i ever did i got recommended me to try it out and i had like a free one that i could get off itunes and so i bought richard matheson's i am legend and this was a little bit after the movie came out maybe maybe a year and so okay i had a job where i worked in a warehouse and i cleaned equipment and put it away basically and so i would put that on while i was listening and i was just captured by this audiobook and I got really into it for a little bit. I, I listened to quite a few audiobooks that way. I did a lot of Cormac McCarthy that way. Huh. And it was great to be, I felt like I was getting my time back. So just kind of having some ACDC or music on in the background, because that's what it was. I had a radio. Um, there was just a big radio out there. You know, I could put on my headphones and I could basically get a book read while I was working. Someone would read a book to me. And I was still getting all the information in said book. You know, mm. so occasionally I was getting, occasionally I was getting nice voice acting and so some books were really well done. That's where I found World War Z, which was an excellent audiobook because that is the book is nothing like the movie. The book is basically like a series of interviews about the zombie apocalypse yeah. and how we beat the zombies. You know, it's a postmortem on it, actually. And so because of it, like they got different actors for each each part, like Jurgen Perchnow, Mark Hamill, Alan Alda. Like it's a really, really nice cast in that. A really nice cast. A Henry Rollins. You know, it's and it's. I really recommend. I mean, read Max Brooks's World War Z. But if you can go to Audible and definitely pick up that audio book because that's probably one of the best I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. It really feels like you're just listening to like a play, an audio play. It's, it really is fantastic. So that, that those were some of the other ones that really got me into it. And I've enjoyed it over the years, but I hadn't done it in a really, really long time. And I did it for this one because I don't own The Hunt for Red October. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've never, I've never read Tom Clancy, and he never will. I, I never will. I still haven't read him. I had him read to me. And trust me, I, I, for the rest of the series, I, I don't think I'm going to pick That was my up. next question. Does it count that you read the book? Oh, wow. You're going you're gonna to just discount it like that already. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean. You didn't really read it. You listened to it. I listened to it. Yeah. But I, I still absorbed all the knowledge that I would have had I read the book. True. Yeah. There, there's, there's no difference in me reading it as opposed to it being read to me. I'm still absorbing all that information. I'm just doing it in a way where I'm in an environment where I can't sit down and read. So you should call it something different than like experienced it. But, you know, I'll I mean, I'll read. I'll read. I'll read. I'll read. I'd listen. They shouldn't hire radio. you on the marketing team is all I'm saying. Radio. Ra radio. No. Red, is, radio. No. Radio. It's just, it's just getting worse. <laughs> it's, just, it's just getting worse. Hello, 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 everybody. I'm Pedro. 
And I'm Meredith. And this is Gritty Reboot, the grittiest show about reboots there's ever been. Why are you spitting things out right now? What is going on over there? Something got on my mouth. How did that happen? I don't know. It's like hair or something. Wow. All right. We're already off to a bad start on this show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I give the intro. I check the recorder, make sure everything's good. I look up and you're like, like I don't know what's going <laughs> on. Uh, so what are we doing this week? Do we have a new uh, a new series we're doing? We're doing Tom Clancy. We're not wait. Well, we are covering Tom Clancy. <laughs> yes, but we're talking about Jack Ryan to be more yeah. specific. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, we're doing a Jack Ryan, ugh, Jack Ryan series. Yeah, Jack Ryan, Jack Ryan. So, let me ask you, what was your first experience of the character of Jack Ryan? Probably the Hunt for Red October. Back in the day. Oh yeah, because my mom loves this movie. Yes, this is a notorious dad movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely a dad movie all the way. And uh, y- your mom has similar tastes in that respect. I don't mm-hmm. know if your dad likes it. I've never heard him talk about it. Yeah, I can't remember. Oddly enough, my, my dad isn't the biggest fan of this movie. I think he likes it, but it's not one of his favorite movies or anything like that. I've never seen him like put the movie on to uh, to do that. Hmm. So I've never seen him just actually sit down and just enjoy The Hunt for Red October. So I had really only seen it bits and pieces on cable over the years. And possibly I sat down and watched it before the sum of all fears came out. Sum of all fears. Yeah, which we, we will cover. So that, that's the way this is going to work. We're going to talk today about The Hunt for Red October, John McTiernan's film, mm-hmm. with Alec Baldwin and his one turn as Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to cover Patriot Games. I keep getting those two movies confused. And after that, we're going to take a look at the next actor who is going to take on the part, and that's Ben Affleck in The Sum of All Fears. Mm-hmm. And after that, we will take a look at Chris Pine in the role in Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, I think is the name yeah. of that. Okay. And then we are going to take a, a quick look at the series with John Krasinski, simply titled Jack Ryan. We will not be watching every episode of the show, but we will have seen some of it. Unless we like it, and then we'll watch it. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're just starting that now because we're going to have a, this is, we're obviously, we're not doing all that today. Uh, today, we're most likely going to definitely cover... No, we're doing a five-hour podcast. Yeah, that's it. Today we're going to go six hours plus, baby. <laughs> we don't need to eat. We don't need to. We don't need to pee. We're just going to talk. Can Tom you imagine Clancy. how pissy I'll get after five hours of not eating? I, I think of that all the time. I, I listened to a podcast the other day, and it was like just under three hours. It was a political show. I couldn't make it. Yeah, and I was just like, oh my god, what a marathon kind of show. Yeah, I, I couldn't do that. Yeah, that that seems to be insane to me. But then again, I know these guys who are like professional podcasters who will do like four a day. Mm. Yeah, they'll go from one show to the next. All right. Well, you want to get started on this submarine flick? I didn't mean to sound so. You didn't mean to, but you, you inevitably did. So, uh, yes, in the year uh, 1990, we were blessed with John McTiernan giving us The Hunt for Red October. Starring Sam Neill, James Earl Jones, Scott Glenn, Alec Baldwin, Tim Curry, who I'm just sliding in there because I love him. And of course, Sean fucking Connery. Who has been canceled. He's also dead. He's also dead. Yeah, he's also dead. Is he really? Yes, he's dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's dead. Huh. Maybe he's like 115 years old. <laughs> the most 
deadly submarine ever built. This thing could park a couple. So we already talked about the fact that we both saw this when we were kids at some point. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the thing about watching it when you're a kid is I don't have any idea about the political intrigue or anything like that in the story. Yeah, I thought it was pretty boring. Yeah, so I didn't get really a shit about anything about about that element of it. So I was kind of excited to go and tear into this film. As an this adult. Time. Yeah, I was like, I'll get a lot more out of it. You know, it's not like I don't enjoy war movies or Cold War thrillers. So I thought there'll probably be a lot for me to like here. And I, I was a little disappointed, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. Really? Yeah, I, I think I thought this film was okay. A lot of okay. I am not field person. You know. You're perfect. So. Yeah. How did you feel about it? Well, I was bored then, and I was pretty much bored now. Uh-huh. You've been <sighs> bored for days, basically. Yeah, actually, I, I did I did enjoy Patriot Games. Oh, you enjoyed Patriot Games? Yeah. Okay. That's okay. kind of a movie up my alley where you're, you've got a guy that's, you know, protecting somebody and is kind of a badass. And yeah. Like, I love That's a, a Jack Ryan movie. Though. Yeah. That's the difference. This is... This is not, I mean, yes, Jack Ryan is in this movie, mm-hmm. but it's not really a Jack Ryan movie. No. I, like I said, we talked about a little bit at the top of the show. I don't know how much I, I cut out of there, but I did have a chance to listen to a, a good portion of the audiobook. And Tom Clancy's novel has the same problem I think this movie does, is there's no real protagonist. You have basically like two of them. Mm-hmm. And that makes the narrative a bit unfocused. I know the book kind of descends into a lot of descriptions of machinery and how it works <laughs> and its intricacies. Which is fine if you're really into that kind of stuff, but I'm not really a military nerd, so that kind of fell flat for me. And I think the story did a bit too because of that issue. I think I might have enjoyed the movie maybe a little bit more than I did the book. I may not be a Tom Clancy fan. That's that might be what I've learned. Mm. I might enjoy Rainbow Six, but maybe not his books. Yeah, I've never read any of Tom Clancy's books, and I'm kind of glad I didn't because he sounds pretty boring to me. Yeah, I, I easily managed to avoid uh, all of his books. Well, all right. Let's get started on this here movie. Oh, you just going pure hick. <laughs> Nothing you are about to see ever happened. That's how the movie starts. Yeah, yeah. So the, the movie does start with this little, little intro. A little blurb. Yeah, it kind of talks about this is like a real spy thing that possibly happened. Wink. Yeah, but didn't. So I, I do, I, you know, I have a little fun story about this, actually. This little aside that's in the front to start the movie. So when Sean Connery got the script, he liked it. And he said, but there's only one thing. He's like, we can't make a Cold War. The Cold, Cold War's over. Russia's fallen. The Soviet Union is falling apart. And what had happened was they had faxed him the script, and they tossed out the cover sheet, which was all those lines putting the setup in 1984. Mm. So he had no idea that it was a period piece. When he accepted it, he was like, well, I like the movie, but we can't do this now. It's dumb. So I, I just thought that was a fun, fun little thing about actors getting faxed scripts, which happened all the time. Mm-hmm. But, hey, how things worked back in the day. Yeah. So we get this to set up our movie with political intrigue, and then we are thrown right into 1984. Yeah, and we have Sean Connery on a sub speaking Russian. Yes, and this is, uh, he's playing Marco Ramus, right? Yes, Ramius. Ramius. He is in command of the Red October, which is the best of the best typhoon-class Russian sub. Yes. Subservient little bitch. And I actually looked up what all of them mean. Oh, yeah? So I... Did look up what all of them mean, and the Typhoon class sub is a nuclear-powered ballistic missile submarine. So that's what separates it apart. Yes. The Los Angeles class 
which is the Dallas, is a nuclear-powered fast attack sub or an SSN. Okay. So I think it can maneuver a little bit faster. Okay. Like the uh, typhoons are huge. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I like how I let you hang in the wind with that one. But. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I wanted to know what the difference was because yeah. they kept saying it and they had cool names. So I wanted to know what they were. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that that is basically it. Is the typhoon can carry nuclear nuclear weapons? Yeah, we are introduced to our entire Russian crew, and we do we we do open up speaking Russian. Do yes, we not. We have some Russian being spoken throughout the uh, the vessel, and I got to watch a little bit of a Russian YouTuber who criticized some of the poor Russian some of the actors were using. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She said some of it was accurate, some of it was not, and apparently McTiernan hired Russian immigrants that they just found. To play the extras in the background of the set, oh. so they would. So some people would probably have that. Some people might not necessarily be. They might be like Russian esque immigrants. So somebody from Lithuania might be coming with a weird accent. Mm-hmm. So that might be some of that too. But I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Hmm. Cool. We go to the Russian sub. They are readying for something. What we don't know. In his office, he goes to meet this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy. Yeah. That's the name. Yeah, I, I didn't get his. I didn't get names. I called people by their actor names in this movie. So he goes and meets with uh, Ivan Putin. Ivan Putin. That's that's the guy, right? Yeah, that's the guy. And uh, he's basically giving him his orders to do with the sub, right? Yeah, he gives him what they call a key. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you, it's great radio. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I would have interrupted, but you were like, and uh, and then nothing. I just had a Mitch McConnell moment. Clearly. <laughs> Connery opens a safe with a key. Yeah. The key around his neck and the key around Ivan's neck. Yeah. And that's where they read their orders. Yeah. So he tells him basically what they're going to do with the sub. And you can tell, I, I like the way Connery plays the scene because you can tell that he's going to have to do something he doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. Yeah. I forget how good of an actor Sean Connery really can be. And he, he really is good at this scene. Like, there's almost a look of regret when he's like, so that's how it is? Like, yeah. Okay. Like, oh, well. So he gets up. Yeah, because he's all like, I'm going to go tell everybody. Do yeah, I have permission like, to tell everybody? It's going to be great news. Yeah, he's all excited. He runs to go. He wants to go out to go tell everybody. So we have basically Sean Connery get up and break his neck on a table. Yeah. Throw him on the ground. And there's a great shot of him just like... <gasps> gasping for like a few seconds as he slowly dies, staring right into Connery's eyes. Right. Yeah. And that's right out of the book, by the way, it mentions, it says that right in the book, uh, except it, it lasts longer, probably like 20 seconds. And it's just a, such a shocking scene. He immediately throws his tea down at his feet and burns the orders and calls in the medic to say there's mm-hmm. been a terrible accident. And he plays it up like, Oh God, you know, I, I tried to, you know, I couldn't save him. So we know automatically there's some very weird things that are going on. Yeah. Incredibly strange situation is occurring on this submarine. So let me ask you, with this being said, who in the blue fuck is Jack Ryan? Well, I didn't know who Jack Ryan was through the whole movie. Yeah. At a certain point, I was like, and yeah, there's Jack Ryan. (laughs) And then you're like, you mean John? I was like, no, there's no John. (laughs) And then when we were watching, my favorite is, this is Inside Baseball on how we watch the movies. We were watching Patriot Games the next day, and I talked about Jack Ryan. And then you had to lean over like... Who is Jack Ryan in the other movie? Like Alec Baldwin. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I had a hard time following the characters in this movie. There are so many. 
Yeah, there there are a lot of characters. I mean, it's a dense book. I mean, yeah. and, and it's you know, there's there's a lot of people. That it's are a in dense it. script. Yeah, there there's a lot of plot elements moving really yeah. along in this in the screenplay if you really think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because we you know we already get our first element of the other subterfuge that is in this movie. There is a, a mole inside the ship, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a plot line that occurs throughout the film. We haven't gotten there yet, but the only reason I want to mention is it's not until I listened to the commentary track that I realized that they linger on a shot of the chef. Oh, really? Yeah, he's like in that room for some reason, and they linger on him for just a moment for no reason except for the fact that if you watch the movie, you know why. Huh. But I thought that was interesting. Like McTiernan throws a little, a few breadcrumbs. He's having some, I mean, McTiernan is having some fun here, even though I don't think this is his best movie by a long shot. No, no. Yeah. It's, I think he does a fantastic job directing things inside a submarine. I was just about to say that. Like, he has a great sense of, there's a sense of where direction in the movie where yeah. you know where things are. You can tell the difference between each submarine. Yeah, each submarine's color-coded. Let's talk about Jan de Bont for a minute. That's a great decision that he made. Yeah, I uh, had that in mind. Yeah, the October is red, going against type, because the Dallas is uh, red. The red October is blue. Blue, yeah. The green is the other yeah, Russian, Russian, ship. Russian sub, and red is for the Dallas. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's not overdone, but any shot, you can tell what submarine you're in, and that's key. Yeah. Because this movie is much clearer. I, I did mention the book really jumps back and forth between submarine, submarine, and, and, and character to character very easily. This movie's a little more focused than that, thankfully. And even with that, that nice little bit of color coding really helps out a ton, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. So I'm and very glad. And shooting in small quarters, and you can lose the direction of the. Yeah, I mean, McTiernan's signature camera movement is still alive and well, mm-hmm. really, in these He's still really spaces. talented. Yeah, yeah. He, he really does show off a lot of his directing skill and what really is a movie about a lot of people sitting around talking mm-hmm. and some, maybe some janky submarine action. Alec Baldwin, we have a shot of Alec Baldwin showing, or Jack Ryan, Jack. showing a submaker some pics of a submarine. And then we jump to Tim Curry and his crew coming into it kind of a mini investigation or, or at least going through protocol on what happens when a dead body ha- occurs. Yeah. This is a nice interaction between Tim Curry and, and Connery and Connery. Uh, they plot for each other. Real well. Curry's really good in this, by the mm-hmm. way, McTiernan had nothing but great things to say about him on that commentary track. And like every time he shows up, he just had a positive thing to say about Curry. And I, I do like the the line here. I, I won't forget uh, your notes when I write my report or something like that. I'll yeah. try to forget him. And, you know, he did kind of threatening him for doing his job and trying to do the right thing. I do like that. There's a bit of an interesting moment between these characters here. I do want to mention one thing we did skip over, the introduction of uh, James Earl Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we did need to. I did completely skip him over. In my yeah, head. yeah, we did skip over. Uh, we, we get introduced to Jack Ryan, and he is married to Beverly Crusher. They're going to go on the Enterprise together to discover new worlds. But, no, she's playing his wife. He has a daughter as well that we can see. We see he's a family man. We see he's well-read. That's the opening shot. It's like the camera moves all through his office, and we see all these books that he's torn, torn through. So we know a lot about the character visually before we even get to him. And then he goes to the CIA, and he meets James Greer, and that is James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of an issue back in the day, apparently it was a bit of a controversy to hire a black man to be the admiral of the, of the Navy or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't realize that until I watched one of the behind-the-scenes things that they were talking about it. So. Oh. James Earl Jones is great here. He does one of the few actors who carries over into the next movies as well, mm. or the, ne- uh, the next version with uh, Harrison Ford. But I did want to mention that he shows up. He is an important character early on. Tim Curry and his crew kind of believe 
Connery, but Curry is still a little, a little suspicious about what's going on with uh, the dead guy. Yeah. And then you notice in the movie that they stop speaking Russian. Yeah, there, there's a, a nice shot early on in the film that I really like, and it's, it's, it's with Ivan. He's speaking in Russian, and the actors are sort of carrying it on, and, and it zooms into his mouth. And then all of a sudden, one Russian word, the next one comes out English, and then the camera zooms out from his mouth. Mm-hmm. God, this is a, a technique uh, that uh, McTiernan ripped off from a French movie that I can't remember. I'll splice in the trailer and me saying what it is right here when I edit. But I like that move. I really do. Some people might think it's a little bit cheesy, but I, I do like that, that you have a noticeable way that you, you say you're transitioning from one language to another. I don't like it. You don't like it? I don't like it at all. I think they either should have committed to one or the other. I can understand that to some extent. To me, I would have just gone with English and just let it go, you know, with that. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't bother me. Like one of my favorite movies is Amadeus, and that's yeah, that's shot entirely. It's a great movie. It's shot entirely in English with American accents. Only characters who aren't German have other accents, which I do think works here. Honestly, I can understand your issue with it, but I do like how it's done because everybody is British on the ship except for Sean Connery's character, and that's fine because Ramius, uh, Ramius is uh, Lithuanian. Hmm. so he's not Russian. So his accent would be different. Oh, okay. So that's the way I always looked at everybody else would have a Russian accent, British in this movie. And since he's Lithuanian, his would be Scottish, very close to British, but not quite right. Yeah. So that's the way I looked at it. I thought to me that checked out in the logic that the movie has for accents. Very well. Which is strange. I thought about it a little bit. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I thought about it a little bit. Well, you know, when you do this sort of thing, it, I just I just sort of naturally pondered about it. We do have a podcast. I don't know if you know. Yeah. yeah. Do we? Do we? What are we doing? Do we really have a podcast? Are you, are, wait, am, am I the podcast? Am I? <gasps> so what happens next? Okay. They stop speaking Russian. Connery makes a big, powerful speech to the officers, and they start singing the Russian anthem. Yeah, yeah. These guys were like singing earlier and they sounded all off key. And now that Connery gives this speech, which is really good, by the way, it's a great speech. Yeah. It's much better than what's in the book. And he gives his impassioned speech and they all sing eloquently together like a perfect choir. I like it. It's, it's a fun scene. Yeah, but they give their position away, right? They do. Yeah, because they have these things called a, what are they called? On the submarines? The caterpillar drive? Yeah, the caterpillar drive that caterpillar make them drive. really quiet. Yeah. They're quiet, but the Russians are all singing. So they kind of give their position away. The yeah. the guys on the Dallas, the Los Angeles class sub is right behind them. And they can hear kind of subtle singing. Yeah. And they're using that to, to track them. So that yeah. kind of breaks down their, their whole thing of the, the silent propulsion system. And that's sort of, you know, one of the elements that we missed when we talked about the Connor, the, pardon me, the conversation with James Earl Jones and Jack Ryan is that they talked about those doors on the submarine, which kind of leads into this MacGuffin angle yeah. of him having to find Jeffrey Jones and talk to him, uh, 80s icon Jeffrey Jones, and discover that that's what it is, silent propulsion system that uses, like, doesn't use any propellers, and that's how it works, basically. Yeah. It, it's slow, but you can't ever hear it, unless you're singing. Mm-hmm. Because the Dallas has been tracking them, and they disappear off radar. hmm So now we go to the, a Russian heading into work, he reads something and drops his tea. We have a scene where we have that guy doing that. Yeah. Then we go to Baldwin debri- or Jack Ryan debriefing the security advisor about the Red October. So the word is leaked on this, and this is a big scene. This is him and Greer. They are talking with basically all the military brass. Mm-hmm. 
and Jack Ryan has to give his entire presentation on the submarine, how it works, what he thinks is occurring, what the situation is. And he gives all this to these guys and they start freaking out pretty much instantly. There's a lot of shouting back and forth. And I really like it because as the sequence goes on, Jack Ryan starts looking at everything he's presented and he starts hearing all these guys talking and he thinks of one thing. He asks Greer, what's today's date? And he tells him what the date is, like the 28th or whatever. And he realized that's the anniversary of Connery's wife's death. Mm-hmm. Now, the book goes into detail on this. The movie just talks about his wife died. <laughs> In the book, it, it more than starts, his wife died because of socialism. Their medical system wasn't equipped because they didn't have the right medicine from overseas. And his wife died of an easily curable illness. The, uh, the local government there wouldn't extend him any favors to get, him, get her the medicine she needed. And that's the one reason he is defecting, basically. Oh, okay. The movie doesn't cover this at all, but nope. I just wanted to mention it. That that's, that's an, good to know. That's another element of it right there. Jack Ryan is able to deduce that he is not coming here to launch a nuclear strike in the United States. He's coming to defect. Yeah. And he presents this theory, which just quiets the room, which I love. And he continues with it. And basically, the, the head of the FBI throws everybody out and says, all right, listen, you are now going to head in there. And you're going to see that's the case. And that's what throws us right into the, the middle of the second act. Yeah. And then we have the Russians talking about sinking the boat, sinking the sub, the Red October, because everybody's already kind of heard back what the, the captain's up to, at least the Russian side. Yeah. They've been ordered to sink the Red October. Okay. Meaning they have a rogue captain on their hands. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is an issue that's, that's going to keep developing throughout the movie. All the officers are arguing and worried about a mutiny. Connery lets them know about, because they're all at dinner. Yeah. All the yeah. officers are at dinner. And that lets them know about his plans, and he thinks he has an advantage. And they're all kind of like, new. No. Yeah, they're yeah. Not, they're no. not really feeling it. Yeah, no, but he, he really does try to sell to his officers, you know, his whole idea mm-hmm. that he, he really believes that the, the United States will be welcoming. Yeah, that he's going to go to live in Montana. And- yeah, yeah. I know he's able to sell some of the guys, but not not some of them are a little cautious, but he does manage to convince a good amount. Of them. Mm-hmm. So he does have their respect, but the, the crew does not know. No, the crew does not. They've know, never been the, told. Yeah, the officers, the officers do know. So, yeah. The American sub, the Dallas, thinks they might have a way to track the sub. They think the Red October is heading to Iceland. Yeah, they're, they're using a different kind of, they're, I forget what it is, some acoustic thing that the, the submarine is uh, giving off is what they're going to use to track yeah. it, right? They're, he's trying something very different to try to get mm-hmm. a hold of this slippery thing. Yeah, it's a kind of a one, it's kind of a hard deal to do, but they, they decide to do it anyways yeah. and give it a try. Ramius is routing the big ass sub around a like a sliver of, of a hairpin turn. Yeah, yeah. So they, they get themselves into tight quarters to try to avoid the uh, the what's it called? Yeah, they go through like a little canyon. The uh, Konovalov. That's the other Russian ship. Mm-hmm. So they they're trying to avoid that, and they're going through all these canyons, and they damage the propulsion system. Mm-hmm. And so they're 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 not going to be able to move silently. Basically, once they come out of there. Yeah, because the caterpillar, like we discussed earlier, that make that's what makes them quiet in the water, and it's gone out, so they're kind of fucked. Yeah. Captain wants them to switch to regular propulsion, but the first mate's Sam Neill is a 
a little apprehensive. Yeah, which is understandable because that's their main advantage that they have is that they can stay above, I mean, they can stay below any detection. So mm-hmm. once they give that away, they're not just, I mean, they're sitting ducks, basically. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for a faster submarine to come and finish them off. And then we have uh, the Americans who launch a torpedo from a plane. And the Red October is now outrunning their torpedo. And this is where Sean Connery shows his prowess as a uh, as a captain. Yeah, and that's the one thing the movie does strive to show over and over and over again. Not how, even his officers believe that he yeah, can through this. Yeah, how fantastic a real naval operator he is. Because the, the movie and the book stress all the time what a fantastic captain he is, a living legend. And the movie does a really good job showing that off, like his skill and how he's able to maneuver out through a lot of these attacks. Yeah, absolutely. So they're maneuvering and maneuvering, and they actually outrun the torpedo. Mm-hmm. The captain, to me, in this, in this scene, this was an interesting scene to me because I thought it was a good character development for the captain. Yeah, yeah. He's a madman. This is where we have the first instance that somebody might have sabotaged the caterpillar. Yeah, so they, they they are aware that they're having some issues, and so that now they know that someone has destroyed the caterpillar. Someone took the time to actually sabotage it in a way that he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So they have someone on the ship they have to root out. So we have another plot line mm-hmm. that there is a saboteur on board. And, they mm-hmm. find him. and this movie has a, a lot of plot lines. It's thick. Yeah. So d- during all this is going on, Jack Ryan is on his way to the Dallas, right? Yeah, via helicopter, he's on his way to the Dallas because he thinks that he's found a way to track the Red October. Yeah. Sam Neill and Sean Connery have a nice bonding moment in the captain's quarters. Did you like the scene where Jack comes onto the to the Dallas? Like they're dangling from the helicopter? I mean, it's all right. I, I thought that was an interesting sequence. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting scene. I did. I liked him dangling there. There was a cool shot, apparently, where the camera is up in the helicopter and Alec Baldwin's hanging from the rope and they drop him right into the water. And it's Alec Baldwin. You can see him, you can see him drop. And it's actually a very cool shot. I, I like that a lot. And it shows just how goddamn difficult it would be to get somebody onto a submarine. Yeah. Which is the first thing I was thinking as the movie was going on. I was like, how the hell does he get to the submarine? I was like, oh, that's how. Very, 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 very difficult. Yeah, they'd have to... Take the submarine up, yeah. Open that hatch, kind of hope that they wing it to to get him where he needs to be. Yeah, and they don't. Obviously, they're running out of fuel, so they have to drop him. Yeah, yeah. Or he drops himself rather. Yeah, he does. He's he not does. going back. He's no. gonna fucking get on that. Yeah, side. no. He ha- he's got a mission to do. He thinks yeah. he's the only person who can save the day here and stop a a disaster. The American sub is still hot on the Russians' tail. Yeah, and basically right now, Ryan is trying to convince Commander Mancuso, who's in charge of the Dallas, uh, Scott Glenn, that he is defecting and they need to communicate with, what's his face? With Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I, do, I do like it because you can tell he is very hesitant, but Baldwin plays Jack Ryan as somebody whose job it is to convince people. He doesn't have a lot of patience for people that don't. See, his way, but he is still good at convincing people that he is the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of patience for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they're talking about that, and the other captain of the, the Dallas is thinking, well, they might bomb the U.S. coast. What, what, what about that? Because they're headed towards Iceland, but who's to say that they're not going to bomb the U.S. in some way? Yeah. But, you know, Jack Ryan does a pretty good job of convincing them. 
Yeah, and that, that's basically it. Like, there's there's a, a line that comes up a little bit later on. You want to bet your life on that? <laughs> and that's basically where Jack Ryan is. He's like, yeah, I truly believe he's defecting. I 100% believe that. So what do they do? They get right behind the Red October to make their presence known. Mm-hmm. And once, because every once in a while, there's a maneuver where the captain will turn around to see if anybody's behind him. Yeah. They do that periodically to check. And he that's what he was doing. He was turning the submarine around to check. Yeah. And they, they, he uses the periscope and there's a great little shot of him just like pulling back. Like, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're right on me. Yeah. And they're sending messages via the periscope. Yeah. Yeah. And he sees that and, and, and he is just stunned. Sean Connery does a great job showing like, son of a bitch. They guessed what I was trying to do. Like, you know, and that, that's the only thing he was worried about was an American cowboy coming in and shooting him right out of the water mm-hmm. because, you know, just as a hothead trying to make a name for himself when he was trying to defect. So he is a, a little elated that this is starting to come together. Yeah. Like everything's actually working out for yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's coming up. Ramus. Ramius. I said that. Whatever, dude. <laughs> and somebody sabotages the Red October again. Yeah, the Red October is starting to get into shit shape here. And they are forced to evacuate because a bunch of nuclear whatever is leaking into the sub. So this is a fantastic excuse to get the entire crew out of the boat. Yeah. Out, out of the submarine and onto the top. They say the captains decide to scuttle the ship, which I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> See, the movie needed more time to describe more boat, boat terms. Yeah. Yeah. Do you even know what that means? They're going to sink it. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're going to sink it. Okay. They board the Russian sub where the officers are, where they're going to talk. Yeah, who's so. they? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, who's In, they? The they, Americans. People haven't seen the movie. Yeah. So Jack Ryan and our, our, our heroes, they head over to to talk to the Russian crew. And we have a nice little scene here. They're, now, I know you might hate it because we go back to Russian for just a little bit. Mm-hmm. We have like four or five lines in Russian. Mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin does a great job with his Russian lines and a fantastic Russian accent. Better than than uh, some of the other British actors who did Russian accents. But we do have a little bit more of that. Also, fun fact, Alec Baldwin still remembered those lines 20 years later. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. They asked him uh, about that movie and he was still able to remember his lines. Apparently, Baldwin never forgets lines. Ever. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Meanwhile, another Russian sub is firing at the Red October. So they got yet again got a maneuver. Yeah, so that's the Konovalov. And this is, of course, led by um, Loganov. That's Ramius's protege. Mm. I don't know if the film covers that, but that is mentioned in the book. I think it does. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, think, yeah I, I believe it is mentioned in, in both. But yeah, he's very much gunning to take that, the Red October out of the sea. Yeah. He's a little undeveloped in the, in the movie, I think. Sam Neill dies. Yeah, yeah. So the saboteur ambushes the Americans when they come in and start shooting, and he only hits Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. So he dies there as Sean Connery cradles him, and he says, I wanted to see Montana, and then dies. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little scene. Yeah. And, and this leads to Jack Ryan and Ramius to head out to try to take out the saboteur. Yeah, they exchange guns, and Connery is going to find that bastard that killed his friend. So it leads to a finale where they are on. They're basically where the nuclear warheads are. Mm-hmm. And it's a great thing. It's like, be careful where you shoot. And then the camera pulls out to see these giant nuclear warheads. And Jack Ryan's like, oh, great. And he peeks his head out. And the guy just shoots yeah. all over the place. He's like, you sure you got to watch where you shoot? <laughs> it's, it's a nice little funny moment in the movie. I, I, I do like the, the, that little bit. And we do find out that the saboteur is indeed the cook. 
and you see the crew that escaped the submarine on the orders of the Russian of Ramius. Yeah. You see them all elated because you think they think that Ramius is really taking it to the Americans. Yeah, yeah. They think like, oh yeah, he just he's about to take these guys out. He's not going down without a fight. Yeah. And Baldwin kills the culprit. We find out who it is. It's the cook. Yeah, and he has like the the wires to like blow the nuclear material right there. And he's holding them apart. It's a really well done scene. You can see the look on Baldwin's face. Like he just knows like, eh, fuck, I got to kill this guy in cold blood. Like he wanted to talk his way out of this, but he doesn't have that option. Yeah. He takes a deep breath and shoots four or five times, takes him down. Yeah. And that, that ends our threat. The Red October is eventually destroyed or so the story goes. Yeah. No, we have another fantastic sequence here where Alec Baldwin has to basically the crews come together to pilot the Red October, mm-hmm. to get it away from danger. And of course, the Russian sub is right on its ass and it, and it fires one more torpedo. The Dallas is able to distract one and destroy it with its um, some of its defenses, mm-hmm. but the other one's headed right at it. And they pull an amazing maneuver out, basically to loop around and to hit the Russian sub with its own missile. Yeah. There's, there's this whole series of like ways to avoid torpedoes, and they finally finish off the Russian sub. In a pretty clever way, I think. Yeah. I, I very much, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought the finale was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. They hit the submarine in a river. Which I really like. That's a really smart way to hide a submarine. The last place you'd ever look for it. And then the last scene is Connery and Baldwin just talking about fishing when they were kids. Yeah, they're able to connect on that one little moment. So, yeah, that, that is the hunt for Red October. I wasn't as enamored with the film as I thought I was going to be as an adult. I can admire the craftsmanship in it. I think it's a solid screenplay, but it does land a bit hollow for me. And a lot of the things that I had a problem with were things I had a problem with in the original novel as well. Mm. So I think that's something to be said about it, even though it is punctuated by a lot of strong performances and fantastic camera work and lighting. I'll probably never watch this movie again. I, I feel the same way. I probably will never watch this again. This might be you know, a movie for my dad, but I, I didn't really dig it. However, I will watch Patriot Games again. I probably won't watch that again either. I mean, those movies are so old, they're never going to be on cable anymore. So it's never going to come up. You have to actually seek them out. Hmm. Yeah. So, and not that we have cable or anything like that. I'm just saying like, you would just stumble onto movies on cable sometimes. That's just how shit worked. And you would watch what was on. We don't have it. So it doesn't matter. Some fun facts for you. Sean Connery spent time underway aboard the USS Puffer preparing for his role. He was given commander status and allowed to give com- commands while underway with the captain right beside him. Ooh. Ooh. Fancy. That's Connery. We all know that he, he liked to do shit like that. Yeah. After the release of the novel, some members of Congress contacted the CIA demanding to know why the Russians had invented the Caterpillar Drive before the U.S. Navy did. Although the result of good research, the Caterpillar Drive is fiction. <laughs> I do like that it did fool some people. I like when any of that sort of stuff occurs. Uh, one of my favorite stories that's something similar is uh, with Die Hard 3. The, uh, the writer of that one got a call from the FBI because apparently his plan about how to break into the banks would 100% have worked. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they want to know how the hell he figured that out. And he was like, I'm just guessing. Shit, please don't arrest me. So Connery's notoriously had issues with every director he's ever worked with. What? Yeah. And McTiernan is no... He's not put outside of that whole thing. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, I do want to mention, I listened to the commentary track, and he was incredibly complimentary of Sean Connery the entire time. He was professional. Yes, professional and a class act. So, even though he is in movie jail. $20,000 was spent on Sean Connery's toupee due to reshoots after he tried to pass off a ponytail style haircut. On the first day of shooting, several years later, McTiernan, in an interview with Sight and Sound magazine, that he was, it said that he was fucking livid with Connery. He tried to go over his head due to his clout with the studio. It seemed Connery was going to get his way until the second day shoots when the DP started laughing, remarking Connery's ponytail looked like a limp swinging dick. <laughs> this soon became a meme along the cr- among the crew. Connery was so upset at the mockery, he relented. Hmm. Yeah, this was the first time he'd worn a toupee in some time. And that does, that, that's a very cool story. That's the kind of things I wish I'd have gotten in the boring commentary track I listened to. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, McTiernan saying it was hot that day. But there was a lot of animosity on set. And that's, like I said, not a surprise. We were talking about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen earlier, mm-hmm. where Sean Connery drove that director insane and drove him away from the business. They both never made a movie again, uh, even though Michael Bay and him apparently got along. So. Take that as you will. So, you know, what do I know? It's, it's whatever. Either way, it doesn't appear to affect the final product. Connery gives a very nice performance. And like I said, the movie is well-directed. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, be that as it may, uh, like I said, I, I don't really give the movie a recommendation. Like I said, I think it's well-made, but I think there's other spy thrillers you could watch and probably get a little bit more enjoyment out of. That may be sacrilege for a lot of people to hear me say, and, and maybe Jack Ryan's just not going to be for me. Maybe this might be the one thing where we're just like, eh, whatever. But, I mean, we clearly, like I said, we watched the film. I did a real deep dive into it, and it just rang a little hollow for me at the end of the day. Yeah. I was bored by it. Yeah, yeah, I would say. If we're going to yeah. give a numerical score, five? I'd give it a six. Six, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I like McTiernan. There was a lot to do in this movie. He does the best that he could do Yeah, with it, so I don't hate the man. All right, you ready for the reviews? Yeah, let's get to the reviews. All right. The Hunt for Red October, 4.6 user review, 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 7.5 IMDb score. And then I have a one-star review for you called Totally Implausible. Totally Implausible. Lay it on me. I can't believe that there is only one negative comment for this film. Anyone with a deeper knowledge of the subject will point out to you that the movie is greatly flawed and at times hilarious at its portrayal of Russians. For example, singing the Soviet national anthem on a sub is pure Hollywood. The political officer is not the second in command. The crew would not be so quick to cooperate with the captain. Plus, if you knew some real history, you'd know that something like this happened in 1975 only with a ship and the captain wound up being shot by a firing squad. The guy wishing to live in Montana is simply ridiculous. Next, we get the numerous technical problems, like there is no way a sub could do a turn in several seconds. Have you any idea how big these things are? It would take several seconds just to start its propellers rolling. I won't even get into the Caterpillar Drive's ridiculousness. Let's just say that even if I, it did exist, it would, be any, it would not be any quieter than the propeller. Finally, for a movie that seems to aim for accuracy, the Russian pronunciation and its are simply horrible. Yeah, apparently so. I know it might not matter much to most of you, but they should have at least tried to make it believable. This could go on forever, but I'll spare you. If you want a good, believable sub-movie, watch Das Boot. Yeah, no, you should watch Das Boot. That's a great movie. Das Boot's my favorite submarine movie of all time. 
that guy really didn't like the movie and got really bogged down in, in a bunch of details. And yeah, I, it sounded like he. Don Clancy went into a lot of detail to explain. You the, read the book, the Caterpillar Drive, yeah. and why that would work. Apparently, it's about the the heat that the propeller makes, mm. and that makes the bubble and it makes a lot of noise you could easily track. Caterpillar system would not do that. So while it would make noise, it's not necessarily something a submarine can track because mm. they're only designed to do certain things. They're actually not very good at tracking things while they're moving, so they have to be stopped and waiting to try to catch it. So mm. these are the advantages I got from going through Tom Clancy's very long explanations of the tech. I'm sorry you had to read them. So there you go. Hey, it is what it is. Apparently, I didn't even read it. <laughs> you listened to it. It doesn't even count. It doesn't even count. Uh, well, you know, with that being said, we, we have ourselves a, a good show. And, uh, you know, next week we're going to tackle the... Oh, yeah. He was alive. In 1990, Roger Ebert was alive and well. And, of course, he reviewed this movie. Did he like it? Would you think he liked it? I think critics really, really dug this movie. Yeah, I guess Yeah, I, I think critics at the time really dug this movie. So, uh, no written review today. I actually have Mr. Ebert along with Gene Siskel reviewing The Hunt for Red October. Our first movie is The Hunt for Red October, and this is a slick, intelligent, well-constructed movie version of the best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. Set in the Cold War year of 1984, it tells the story of a renegade Soviet submarine skipper played by Sean Connery, who devises a scheme to defect to the United States and bring the latest Soviet submarine right along with him. Connery's plot begins when he murders the Communist Party political official who is on board as part of a system of checks and balances. I want you and the doctor to witness this. I'm removing the political officer's missile, okay? Carry on. And I'm keeping it myself. Captain, I, I think we should report this to Red Fleet Command. I'm afraid that's impossible, Doctor. Our orders are for strict radio silence. What is that? That's all long enough. Yes, sir. This is most unnerving, Captain. The reason for having two missile keys is so that no one man may... May what? May arm the missiles. Meanwhile, an American intelligence expert played by Alec Baldwin is convinced that Connery is trying to defect with the submarine. Here he meets with James Earl Jones, a Navy admiral, to explain his theory. Good afternoon, Admiral. Afternoon, Matthew. Where are we going anyway? Briefing for Jeffrey Pelt, President's National Security Advisor. Most of the Joint Chiefs will be there, along with a few other people. Who's giving the briefing? You are. Beneath the sea in the submarine Red October, Connery justifies his plan to the men he trusts. You had to make a political statement. Or was it something deeper, Captain? Something that made you unable to simply slip away? Was it ego, Captain? We each have our reasons, Victor. My own began the day I was handed the blueprints for this ship. A ship which had but one use. Desperate to prove his point, Baldwin, the American intelligence man, has himself flown to a rendezvous with an American sub that's near the Red October. Okay, how'd you go? And then he tries to convince the American sub skipper, played by Scott Glenn, not to attack Red October. The Russians will stop at nothing to prevent Ramius from defecting. They are desperate. They've invented this story that he's crazy because they need our help to sink him before he can safely contact us. 
Weapons control. I want full safeties. We're so close. I don't want those fish coming back at us. Full safety, aye, sir. Captain, I know this man. In movies like this where you have a lot of different cast members, a little typecasting helps out a lot. And the performances of Connery, Baldwin, and Glenn provide a strong center to the film. What's also a little surprising is how easy the plot is to follow. If you've read Tom Clancy's book, as I have, you may remember what a complex plot it had. In the movie, everything is clear as crystal, and that helps the suspense a lot. There's one strange contradiction about the movie, though. They've done a great job of reproducing the insides of submarines in this movie. They look absolutely authentic, to me anyway, having never been in a submarine. <laughs> but the underwater shots of the outsides of the subs are sort of murky and disappointing. I don't know, maybe nuclear submarines just plain look like big bloated gray whales, and there's nothing you can do to make them look I agree. sexier. Have you been on the outside of a submarine? Uh, uh, actually, I, down at the Museum of Science and Industry, I, but that was a German U-2 boat from World War II, so yeah, I think I'm not that, exactly up to date. I think they probably got both parts right. I think that the insides of the submarine, all that stuff, this is a good how-to movie. Mm -hmm. I think we learn how people operate on a submarine at the same time. I think that what's interesting is we also learn how the intelligence community works, uh, particularly in the United States. There's a great political meeting mm -hmm. with all the admirals, the joint chiefs, mm -hmm. and a political operative mm -hmm. uh, for the president. Uh, and it's very well done. And we think we're on the inside, which is the appeal, I understand, of Clancy's books. The other thing that I think is really distinctive about the film is the performance by Alec Baldwin. This mm -hmm. is sort of a star-making role. He is he, he is not uh, a superhero. He doesn't play it that way. He plays it as a guy who's simply very, very smart and careful and methodical, and he isn't boring while doing that. And I thought that, that was really the strength of the it film. It was good casting, and it was interesting for that particular role that it was a relatively new face. We've seen him before, yes. but a lot of people don't know who he is. Yes, in other words, if it were a familiar face, for example, if you put Connery in that uh -huh. role, you'd say, well, there's not going to be any problem here, because he'll obviously solve what needs so to be solved. So it has this in common with the book. It's a smart thriller. In other words, it congratulates you for being smart enough to be able to figure out all the stuff that's going on yeah, here and it's fun on that level a lot of extra information yeah. so they liked it a lot more than we did apparently yeah uh they, yeah they were kind of enamored with it but that was the general critical consensus at the time critics really loved this movie it made like 200 million dollars which is a ton of money back then it's a man film yeah it's very much so a man's man's movie a man and how did you feel about alec baldwin as jack ryan <laughs> i i think he's really good here but ford is better well the thing about this jack ryan necessarily well he is a protagonist he's not necessarily the protagonist of the movie and i think if he was a little bit more hands-on and action heavy with the role then maybe that could have been something to sort of sink your teeth into but it's not really here in this movie even if i do like his performance but it doesn't matter we'll never get to see him do more we're gonna find out at the end of this which jack ryan truly is the best and that's right. So next week, we're going to be taking a look at probably both Harrison Ford movies, Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. Both directed by Noyce. Noyce. Philip Noyce. Um, spoiler, we, we did kind of like that one. Yeah. Um, we haven't watched Clear and Present Danger yet. We'll probably watch that right when we're done here. But um, I think it's going to be a, a fun series. I, I, I think this one didn't really land with us, but maybe we're just not submarine kind of people. Maybe this one just didn't work for us. So. We're going to try that, so uh, next week I hope you come back for us. Uh, Meredith, what are your socials? I don't have any. That's right. Fuck social media. Fuck social media like Russian submarines. But if you do need to get a hold of us, you can email us at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. That's the easy way to get a hold of us, but the quickest way would be to simply look for Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok, and we'll answer any questions you might have there. So Okay. 
All right, guys. Well, uh, that's it. We will see you next week for part two of the Jack Ryan installment. All right. Bye, guys. See ya.